0: Vine family, if you want to grab a seat, uh, I encourage you to continue conversations after the service. Um, My name is Michael. I'm a pastor here at the Vine Church, but also be sent out with Ben, who's leading worship to Plant Eastside Church in the near future. And actually, this Thursday will be our first of our Thursday night core group meetings. So if you think about it, please be praying for us, that God would establish a church on the east side that invites all people to live all of life for the glory of God by the Spirit in Jesus. So that's, that's our heart. So we're excited about that getting started. We're excited for the Vine, you guys supporting us in that. And this morning, we are going to finish off our series in uh, the book of Jude. It's the last book of the Bible before Revelation. Just one page normally in your Bible, nice and short. Just been a three week series. And Jude, just remember, has been writing. He wanted to write, I should say, to tell the churches about the beauties of the gospel. But instead, he found that what he had to do was encourage them to hold fast to their faith because different false teachers had slipped in pretending to be followers of Jesus and were actually trying to lead them astray. He was kind of like a ship's captain who thought he was about to kind of paint the vision for the beautiful journey ahead in the cruise, and instead turned around to find saboteurs climbing on board the boat trying to sink it. So he's had to turn around and say, watch out, watch out. They're trying to take it down. Be on guard. That's what Jude's been doing. But he hasn't just been warning, but he has also encouraged Last week, we heard about how he wanted to encourage the church to to stay in God's love. And then staying in God's love, they would do that by, by being in the word together and by praying and by waiting expectantly for the mercy of Jesus. But what happens if people that they love would actually start to fall into the traps of the false teachers? How would they react? And so Jude's going to turn now to to that question, and he's going to try to help them to say, what happens when those you know and love in your midst are starting to follow a path that leads to destruction, that leads to denying God's grace? How do we walk with those people and care for them? And that same question is pressing for us today, because I'm sure some of you know people you love and care about that are maybe making Choices and have listened to voices that are leading them astray from life in Christ. And Jude isn't going to give us advice out of fear. He's full of faith, and he's full of hope. So let me pray and ask God to speak this morning and help us as we walk with others. Father, thank you so much that you are just such a good God. You are holy and mighty and majestic, and yet... You sent your son to come live amongst us, to show us what you're like. And you've given us your word to teach us day after day who you are and what it means to live life as it was meant to be, the way you originally designed it, good and perfect. And so give us hearts I just want to lean into you this morning. Give us ears to hear. Pray this in your name. Amen as I jump into our passage this morning, let me actually pick up from verse 20, which we covered last week, just to give us a little bit of the context. Jude 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude kind of finishes his encouragement by reminding them to wait expectantly for mercy from Jesus. And so it makes sense then that as he turns to how to interact with others, that he says, have mercy twice. The currency of the Christian life is mercy. We have received mercy, and so we give mercy. We act mercifully. But mercy is discerning. Mercy looks different in different situations, which is why Jude gives us three different kind of scenarios here that he wants to to speak to. And discernment is important because you need to discern how to act rightly in order to actually help well and not be harmed yourself. So you can think about the discernment between actually telling what is a wasp Versus those flies that have the coloring of a wasp, but actually just do it to scare away predators, the difference might lead to you being stung or not, right? Discernment's helpful. It matters. And so Jude first starts in verse 22 by saying, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy on those who are, who are wavering, who are, who are struggling, who have questions, or maybe kind of going back and forth, or they're kind of on the fence. They're not really sure about all this faith thing anymore. They've been hearing maybe some other voices, and, and now it's gotten confusing, and they're kind of on the fence. And he says, Have mercy on them. And the reason is, is that so often what happens is when we run into people, and maybe you've experienced this, they get just kind of treated as if they are the false teachers. And they just get kind of blasted and pounced on, and like the hammer will drop on you, and you will be crushed and defeated. And actually, they're not false teachers. They're just struggling. They're wavering. They have doubts. They have questions. And so Jude says, don't blast them. Because if you do, most of the time what happens is they either just go silent and pretend everything's fine, or they just walk away. No, Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt, have compassion on them, be kind. Be gentle with them. Don't kind of blast them with the fire hose of truth, but instead maybe you need to walk up to them where they are sitting on the fence and engage them lovingly in conversation. Ask them questions. Listen, and then bring them back to God's word. Gently, graciously, and say, here's where life is found. Let me show you the goodness of God's word. I want you to hear it and see it. is where life is. But we do it with mercy, with gentleness, After all, that's how Jesus interacted with his disciples. I mean, if you read the stories in the Gospels, you can clearly tell the disciples were not picked because they had passed some test and been weeded out of all the crowd. They can't seem to get their act together half the time. They have doubts. They have questions. They can't seem to get who Jesus is. In fact, Peter at one point has to pull Jesus aside when Jesus says, I've come here to die. And Jesus is like, no, no. Jesus, let me tell you what you're going to do. Right? Like He doesn't get it. And then even after Jesus dies and rises again, and he appears to them, we read this verse in Matthew 28, 17, and when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here's the risen Jesus, nail marks in his wrists and feet appearing before them, and some of his disciples have doubts. And so Jesus calls down fire from heaven, burns them to a crisp, and warns all the other disciples, you better not doubt either, right? No, that's not what he does. The very next verse is a well-known verse. Go into all the world and make disciples. What? Even these disciples with their doubts, you're going to work with them? Yes, Jesus is merciful and kind and patient with doubters, with waverers. And that's how we are to be because that's how he's been with us. So maybe if you're in city group and someone shares something that just a little seems off the wall, maybe before freaking out and jumping on them, we slow down. We listen. We ask questions. Maybe even acknowledge you're right. That is hard. We need to ask God's help to lean into his truth because it is hard sometimes. And we keep bringing them back gently to God's word. I think, in my own life of a pastor when I was wrestling with understanding God's sovereignty. And and he he didn't try to argue me into something. He asked me questions. He pointed me back to God's word. And even after talking for an hour and a half, he just finished the conversation by saying, I think you should read Romans 9. All right, see ya. Uh, And he didn't try to, like, corner me and pin me to the mat. He was so gentle and gracious. And yet God used that to help me understand God's sovereignty in a beautiful way. So have mercy on those who doubt, who are wavering. But then he goes on to verse 23 and give us another category. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. These are people that are not just wavering. They've now fallen into trouble. And so it requires a more immediate, a more active response. Save them, even, even snatching them out of a fire. The image is, imagine you're hanging out with some friends around a campfire, Right? And someone is showing you an item of value, and it slips out of their hand and falls into the fire pit. But it's on the edge. It hasn't caught fire yet. It hasn't been majorly damaged. And if you act quick and reach in and just snatch it, it's probably going to be okay. And I think that's what Jude is saying here. Snatch them even from the fire. Yes, they've kind of fallen for this false teaching, but it hasn't majorly affected their life yet. There's still time to turn them back from a road that leads to destruction because the image of fire is ultimately eternal judgment. The stakes are high. This is not minor stuff. And so it's important to act quickly because it's so important to protect those we love. In fact, God acts this way. There's a great story in Genesis 19 where Lot, nephew of Abraham, the father of Jewish nation chooses to live in a city called Sodom, of Sodom and Gomorrah. One of two cities so evil that God chooses to wipe them out. And considering how patient and merciful God is, that tells you something about those cities. And so Abraham asked God to send some angels to go and call Lot and his family out of Sodom. And we read this in Genesis 19. As morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. Lot knows there's danger coming, but he's lingering. And the angels don't stand around and say, hey, do you mind handing over power of attorney to us so we can make the right decision for you? They just grab him and get out of town before judgment comes. Why? Because the Lord is merciful. Got to reach in and save. He doesn't really, he's not really aware of the danger he's in. And so we've got to act to save. It's the love that it loves enough to do a family intervention with someone. Maybe when they have addiction and the family intervenes and says, you have a problem, we won't let you keep going down this road. It's the love that sees friends maybe drive a great distance or fly or pick the phone and say, man, I'm concerned for you. I love you and I want to call you away from a path that leads to destruction. That's what love does. It saves, it rescues. Love's enough to do that because Like we said, the stakes are eternal judgment. James actually says something similar in James 5. He says, My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The stakes are high. And love... Love's enough to sometimes say to someone, no, the path you're going down is wrong. It's going to destroy you. Maybe you can't even see it right now. But let me show you from God's word. This really stood out to me, this idea of love saying no. I was actually reading an article where Paris Jackson, a daughter of Michael Jackson, in an interview talks about what it means to be family. And she says this, interestingly. She says, family to me is a feeling of tribe, people in your life who you are connected to on the deepest of levels, who make you feel safe and at home no matter where you are in the world. They tell you no when you need to hear it and they love you unconditionally for your soul, nothing less than that. Unconditional love sometimes says no because that's the loving thing to do and that is what Jude is calling us to do. Some people need to be saved now. And he goes on, verse 23, to give us another category. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. If some have just fallen to the fire, others have actually gotten into their mess of sin and have rolled around in so much that they are stained, even their garments, by the flesh. And the flesh here is not our physical bodies, but it's that that human sinful nature that wants to rebel against God and go its own way. And they've so chosen to follow that and use God's grace as a cover for that, that actually they've polluted themselves and their lives. So that even now their garments are stained. And the word for garment there is, is the inner garment or the undergarment. And the picture James wants to have for you is this person has stained their undergarments with human excrement. This is what they've done in running away from God. And they've put themselves in this spot where they are now dirty and unclean. They've joyfully embraced this false teaching. They've been rolling around in the pigsty, so to speak. And yet, he still says, Have mercy. He doesn't say get angry. He doesn't say write them off. He says have mercy. Still have compassion on them. Pray for them. Desire their well being and yet do it with fear. Fear of what? Well, I think that next phrase clarifies it. With fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Don't even go near their garments. Because you too might get sucked in and become dirty and polluted. So you have this heart of mercy towards them, and yet be careful. Paul says something similar in Galatians 6 1. He says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Have mercy, right? But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you can imagine some people have fallen into quicksand accidentally and they just need someone to reach down, grab them by the hand and yank them out. But other people have jumped into the quicksand thinking it's fun and they will just as likely pull you in if you try to pull them out. And so Jude says, have mercy, but with fear, be careful, be wise, and yet still have this heart of mercy And I think our world struggles to to put those two together. Our world struggles to say, how can we say no to injustice and sin and evil and call it really bad and yet still have mercy on those who do those things? Because if we have mercy on them, it feels like we're undermining justice. But in God's economy, thankfully, it's not that way. God always will make justice happen. In fact, Jesus died precisely to take on justice. But then he gets to give us mercy that we haven't earned. And because we've received mercy when we were guilty and when we were dirty by sin, that's how we're able to look at anyone, no matter how dirty, no matter how broken, no matter how full of sin, and have a heart of mercy towards them. Because that's how God was towards us in our sin. And so we have this heart of mercy, but we're wise. Maybe it might mean staying away from certain situations with them. Maybe it means engaging them only in certain places so you too aren't dragged into sin. Maybe it means avoiding listening to the false teachers that they have been listening to because you're not sure if you're grounded enough to handle that. Be wise, but have a heart of mercy. And so Jude gives us these three categories. And I actually like how Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of the message, summarizes it. He says, go easy on those who hesitate in the faith. Go after those who take the wrong path. Be tender with sinners, but not soft on sin. But maybe now you're asking the question, well, that's great that Jude's given us these three categories, but the biggest question I have is, how do I tell? How do I tell if someone needs mercy because they're wavering? And how do I tell if we need to save them from the fire? And how do I tell if they need mercy but with fear? I think here we're going to need to rely on God's Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, to give us humble hearts to depend on him and trust him, to have a listening ear as we engage with people so we can discern rightly, so we can actually be of help. I think of uh, when we were in another city, Heather and I leading a small group, and there was, there was a newer believer in our small group. And as we got to know her, and she became kind of in our family and had come over. We, we were concerned that the person she was dating wasn't necessarily a believer. And so we sat down and talked with her about it and about how, like, how we don't want to see your heart get drawn away from loving Jesus. So we just encouraged her to just go and chat with your boyfriend and, and, and get some clarity on where he's at with his faith. We were trying to just be merciful and gentle on someone who's wavering, right? And she went and and talked with him and and came back and was like, I'm pretty sure he's not a believer. It seems pretty clear to me. I remember when I got that email from her realizing, "I, I think we need to sit down and have another conversation with her. Just to call her away from a path that could lead someplace not good. But I was scared to have that conversation. And so I delayed. And then by the time I circled back around, she was engaged. And I look back and I wish that I'd just listened that God just being like, no, you need to go after. And the good news is I don't know the, the end of that person's story. God is at work, he can redeem all kinds of things. But still, it just made me realize, man, how much we need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to discern when can we be patient and when do we need to reach out and save. And maybe at this point you're thinking, man, this just feels hard. Feels hard to know how to discern. Feels hard to know how to walk with people. I don't feel like I'm able. Well, friends, the good news is Jude doesn't end here. There's two more verses. So listen to verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty dominion and authority before all time and now and forever amen do you see how beautiful those words are you can imagine Jews being like I don't know if I'm able to do this Jude and he goes that's okay There is one who is able, and it's not you, and it's not me. It's the only God, our Savior. He knows how to save. Haven't we just spent months in Exodus watching God do just that? Save. So just think with me about those who maybe are struggling with doubts, who are wavering. Hear these words now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Man, on the journey of faith, there are some ups and downs. There's some spots where we hit tree roots, and it's hard to keep on our feet. But God says, I am able to keep from stumbling those who are mine. I can hold them. I'm able. Our job is not to be the person that they lean on and and who carries them through. We can't do it. There is one who promises that, and that is God. Our job is to point him back to the one who is able. But, but Jude, what about those who have already had their garments defiled? Is there any hope for them? Yes. Now to him who is able to present you blameless, clean, before the presence of his glory. Those who have trusted in Christ, he knows how to make clean and wash us from everything dirty we've taken on. He's able to do that. He loves to do that. He's a merciful God. This is this beautiful idea of restoration and, and we love this idea, right, of, of antiques being found and restored at antique shows or like home renovation shows or the ones are makeovers or businesses getting turned around and there's always the big reveal at the end where you see where all the work has made something new from something old and broken and dirty and everyone always applauds and cheers, right, at that moment. Well, Jude is saying, friends, there is such a greater restoration that God is doing with all those who are his. That's why he says in verse 24 that when he presents us blameless, it will be with great joy. All the applause of all the TV shows, of all the sports games, of all the music concerts will all pale in significance to the applause on that day. When God pulls back the curtain, we see all of us who have trusted in Christ finally made to be who we are always made to be. No more brokenness. No more dirtiness. Clean. Blameless. And all the praise will not be for us. Just like no one goes up and thanks the piano for a beautiful recital, or no one thanks the piece of canvas for having a beautiful painting on it, all the praise will go to the artist, and the great artist is God which is why Jude ends with verse 25. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, fame, praise, majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Do you see what he's doing at the end? He wants us to see in worship who God really is. What do you have to fear in stumbling What do you have to fear when the God who stands before us and behind us and with us has all the glory, all the majesty, all the dominion and power and authority? Back then, now, and forever. That God is a God we can look to, who can strengthen us. And we know that He will fulfill this because of one phrase in verse 25 to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. God saves through Jesus Christ. And guess what? That is past tense. Jesus already came. He already died. He already rose again. He's already sitting at the throne of God. And so anyone who is in Christ, you are already declared blameless before God. You're already viewed as clean before God. We're just waiting for that final day when it's all unveiled. But Jesus has already done it. He said at the cross, it is finished. And that's why we can have hope that God will do precisely what he promises to do here. He's already done it. Paul says that in Ephesians 5. He says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus paid the price to make this possible. Jesus, who never wavered from doing his Father's will, strengthens waverers. Jesus, who is fully blameless, entered the fire of God's judgment to pay the price to make us that is what God has already done. And because he has all the power and all authority, he cannot be stopped. He always holds on to those who are his. He never lets them go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see what Jude's trying to do here at the end? and the letter in which he starts by saying, contend for the faith, he ends with what? Oh, guys, God is the great contender. He's the one contending for you. He's the one at work. So rest in him. Trust in him. Worship him. Whatever the circumstances are going around right now in your life, the greatest reality is what Judah is talking about. A faithful God who stands behind his people. That's what he wants us to see and we so easily lose sight of it in the everyday pressures and concerns that come upon us. He says, just look at God's goodness to us. Trust him. And you're going to need that if you're going to be able to be a person that shows mercy to others. It's hard to show mercy to others sometimes. If you're just doing it on your own strength, you'll either burn out or get depressed because you can't do it. But if you know that God stands behind you then you can just be faithful knowing God will actually do the work. So Vine family, show mercy to those who are doubting. Save others snatching them from the fire. Have mercy on others with fear, hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. For you know the merciful one and he will guard and keep and save those who are his for his glory. And our good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you loved us when we did not love you, that when we were dead in our sins and could do nothing, you sent Jesus to save us. You say in the Psalms that you do not slumber nor sleep, you watch out for your children, you care for us. Not one hair can fall from our heads without you noticing and knowing. And so I pray that you just help us to see you, to see your kindness, to see your love, to lean into that and to walk with others who are struggling to see it and invite them to see and that your Holy Spirit would give them eyes to see the beauty of grace, the beauty of life found in you, Jesus. Pray this in your name. Amen.